Welcome into God's Word during exile. We're a group of pastors that get together and dis decipher the Word of God. We're going currently through the book of Revelation. And as you can see, directly next to me right here, we have a special guest. I'm just going for it. I'm going to say that Jason Goodham's literally right here. Uh, the closeted left behind enthusiast. We have him. This is now apparently out of the closet. I'm going to have so many questions to answer after this. <laughs> so today uh, we're studying Revelation 13. We're going to attempt to go from 11 to the end of the chapter, which is 18. I do have to admit, I have a uh, fair amount of PTSD from this passage because growing up, I was always asked if I had the mark of the beast because of this Harry Potter looking thing on my forehead. You see this right here? Everybody oh, used to cool. ask, is that the mark of the beast? <laughs> who, who asked you if the, that was the mark of the beast? Multiple people that I'm going to remain nameless. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, that just, that just kind of makes you a Hufflepuff, doesn't it? I think so. I'm pretty sure, like, this is some Harry Potter stuff right here, boys. But, which I'm sure Voldemort. That excludes me. It excludes me from the rapture. Um, but, yeah. Is that the general know. rapture or the selective rapture? I think yeah. it's the... Selective rapture. The fourth That's where it's one, The fourth one that comes. Fourth one. So, yeah. uh, but, welcome in. We're happy. We get to have a little bit of fun on the intro. But I know that our people like us to keep it serious. So, from here on out... We're going straight up stoic, uh, but welcome to Sesame Street, as you can see behind me. Here's here's uh, Elmo right here. Everybody loves to see him. At least I got that right, even if Jason's really not right here. At least I got that right, but here we go. Uh, I'm going to say this is Mike Hussey up here, Matt Nelson here, and uh, the righteous uh, Benjamin Baker down here. Uh, we're happy that you could tune in with us, and it looks like Mike's going to open us in a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather together and talk about your holy word um, as we take a look at uh, the second half of Revelation chapter 13. Um, God, I ask that you would uh, reveal your word to us, and that you would show us your truth, that you would show us our sin, uh, bring us to repentance, and point us to the finished work of Christ, which is enough even for sinners like us. God, by your word, strengthen our faith. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Reverend Baker, will you uh, read the word of God for us today? I'm going to leave myself off mute so I can thanks be to God it up when he's done. I'm ready. All right. So reading from the English Standard Version, this is uh, Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the sign that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast 
so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, God. be to God. I got you by that much. I didn't think that it was a race to God's grace, Mike. It always really is. Like, always has been. Go there, all right? <laughs> Only 144,000 are going to make it. You got a race to God's grace. You can be one part of that 144,000. And I think that they'll be individually taken up too. That's the whole deal. So I heard that. How much I heard that somewhere today? Individually rapture 144,000 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a long time. All right, we're in the second half of Revelation chapter 13 today, taking a look at the second beast. Remember that first beast we talked about last week, and if you haven't watched last week's episode or listened to it, definitely go back, so you'll be missing out on some stuff. Uh, the first beast that came out of the sea was identified with uh, kind of any human authority that uh, oppresses or attacks or attempts to destroy the church. Um, but this is going to be a slightly different thing. Still opposed to the church, still, um, you know, an agent of the dragon, of Satan, to, uh, to make war on the church. Um, but it's going to have a slightly different way of doing it. Just before we started recording, uh, Jason brought up that uh, the dragon and these, these two beasts, the one from the land and the one from the, the sea, kind of make up an unholy trinity. Uh, it's a counterfeit, you know, a fake. It's not the real thing. It's not as good. And Jason said something I'd never heard before, that in order for Satan to copy the Trinity, he had to, he had to uh, uh, fall into the heresy of modalism. Do you want to unpack that? Because I thought that was super cool. I'd never heard it that way. Well, it's, and I don't know if we can limit it just to modalism or all of the anti-Trinitarian heresies that are out there, but the whole miracle of the Trinity is that God is three gods in one person or th three persons in one God. Whoa. Ooh, we're going to try and add some more heresies today. Yeah. <laughs> three persons in one God and one person or one God and three persons. My goodness. Why can't I get that right today? Uh, but he's undivided. And, and yet there are three individual persons. The father is not the son. The son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father, so on and so forth. For these, these three unholy parts of the Trinity, Satan has to act in a heretical way to have them be threats or counterfeit. And, and so the heresy of modalism is that sometimes God is the Father, and sometimes God is the Son, and sometimes God is the Spirit. That's the heresy of modalism. Uh, and, you know, if you've watched the St. Patrick's Bad Analogies by Lutheran Satire, you, you'll get all that put together. But the, when we compare the Trinity to the forms of water, that's the actual heresy we, we, you know, commit. That sometimes water is vapor, sometimes water is liquid, sometimes water is ice. The, the problem that is, is that that's not three separate persons. That's, that's one God in, in three different modes, which is why it's called modalism. And so Satan can use earthly government, he can use apostate religion, 
or he, he can use demonic influence to persecute the church. Uh, another way in which Satan could mimic the Trinity, but have to, you know, commit heresy in doing so is, is the, the sin of partialism or the heresy of partialism, where as a, as a Trinitarian heresy, that is God is one third, the father, one third, the son and one third, the spirit, and they all add up to God. And, and you know, you see that happening here in Revelation, you know, 13, that part of the way Satan works is through earthly power. Part of the way Satan works is through the apostate church. And part of the way that Satan works is through demonic influence. But uh, they add up to something less than God. But however, however you look at it, you know, in Satan in scripture, is called the counterfeiter. Uh, the Satan's upside in trying to counterfeit the image of God is always going to be something less than God, which means his upside in trying to counterfeit the Trinity is one of these Trinitarian heresies that we simply can refute by confessing the truth. And, and that's really going to be the outcome of Revelation 13 here is whatever Satan is trying to deceive, Scripture presents us a greater truth that overcomes that. Maybe one thing to kind of add on to what you're saying with a possible um, other way that this is a, a broken representation of the Trinity is that both of these beasts are acting um, like on behalf of and under the guidance of the, the dragon, the devil, right? But these appear to be essentially like created beings, right? They're, they're, there's something different than the the one who is behind it so they're they're working on they're like earthly things but you know with the spiritual influence of the dragon right so you know with with the trinity talk and stuff we know that jesus is not a created being and the spirit isn't something separate that was created they are all one all eternal uncreated and perfectly unified and that's not the impression we get with this these two beasts are are like puppets of the dragon here and yeah puppets are tools right tools. it's they're, they're, that satan is using them for his own ends to accomplish his purposes and the father never uses the son nor does the father or the son use the spirit they are they are co-equal in majesty uh, and they are they are all God at the same time. And that I think puppet is a great word to describe what's going on. But it, again, if you are coming from the point where you're confessing the truth and you're comforted by the truth, you can see immediately the way Satan is operating in Revelation. And again, it's not a threat. You know, I, I think that's been the repeated theme every time I've come on is that all of these things that are being described in Revelation, they're super intimidating. They're super awful. If, if you understand what the truth is, you're like, oh, yeah, that's I see what he's doing. And, and, and we could even see situationally how that would be awful. Right. But it's still not a threat to the church when 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 earthly human governments act out of tyranny to persecute the church. Those who are being persecuted, it's awful, but the church lives on. 
when false doctrine rises up inside the church and threatens to split the church apart, yeah, it's awful, but the church still perseveres. And all we need to do in those two situations is simply go to Matthew 16, 18, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. You know, why are we not... talking about the Pope? <laughs> <laughs> on Peter, right now, on Peter's confession, <laughs> we, we will shortly be talking about the Pope, but we're not going to be talking about Matthew 16, 18. <laughs> right in the comments, if you need us to unravel that whole. <laughs> <laughs> Just it'll come up. There, there's there's a whole lot of the papacy in these uh, eight verses. Yes, but you know what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense with what we've said. The purpose of Revelation has been, and what we've seen all the way through, that the church is is ultimately given a message that's going to be a blessing to her, and will be for her comfort. And so, as we see these things, the church should say, "Oh yeah, I'm not surprised. The Lord warned me about these things. I've been prepared." to go through trials. I know that we're victorious in the end and Christ wins. The devil loses. My place in eternity is secure. Um, and all of this, uh, to, you know, hold fast and conquer, right. By clinging to Jesus till the end. Right. And this message ultimately then is not one that leads to confusion or panic or the church losing or despairing or whatever, but ultimately being blessed and comforted. Um, and so, yeah, we don't need to be surprised by the work of the devil in this world. The, the, way, I've, the way I've compared it in the past as I've explained this is eight years ago this summer, I completely wrecked my ankle. I, I did everything possible to my ankle you could do. I broke both bones at the bottom of the leg. I tore all the tendons. I ruptured all the soft tissue. I, I needed massive surgery. And I was writhing in agony when it happened. But before I went into surgery that day, the surgeon looked at me and said, this is what we're going to do. And it's going to hurt and it's going to be awful, but there is an end game to you getting better. And you know what? Knowing the steps helps you cope with it. When I, when I had the cast on after my surgery, I knew I was going to get better. And when I was going through physical therapy and my physical therapist was trying to kill me, I knew it was to make my ankles, ankle stronger, right? This is kind of what being aware of the end times is like for a Christian. If we know what to watch for, it doesn't deny that it's going to be unpleasant. But the truth of it is, is God has a plan and we know what the end game is. Christ returns and we're ushered into eternity and that is never in doubt. Yeah, I think that's um, helpful to go over, you know, especially in light of, um, you know, last week when we were talking about the, the first beast and how, you know, people are tempted to worship, you know, government power. And so, you know, we've seen, we've seen that unfortunately with a lot of the, you know, there's been a lot of fear, especially I would say on the conservative side of things, fear of what um, certain government regimes may do or how things are, are going. And sometimes it seems in that fear, um, you know, instead of returning to, you know, to the scriptures and God 
has made promises to his church that he is not going to break, that we know, we know how the end will be. We know who wins in the end. Um, instead of that, we basically say, well, we're going to throw in our loyalty and our worship of a different regime. And so we're afraid of this one. So we're going to worship the other. And, and that seems to be, you know, unfortunately a real knee jerk response um, in the church in America is that if we encounter problems, persecution of any kind our it seems like our reflex is where's our savior government, you know, and that's, that's how we tend to respond, you know, and I'm going to vote for this candidate because he's going to stand up and protect the church or so we think. And then we just end up being used by, by whatever government uh, regime is in place, you know, but instead of returning to, okay, what has God told us in scripture? He has given us these promises. He told us that we can expect these kinds of things to happen. And he tells us how it all ends. And so we don't want to, you know, in fear, worship a different form of the beast as it were. Um, but to stand on God's promises uh, no matter what comes, because what he says is true. And he's told us, hey, this is going to happen. And it's all right, because here's the end. <clears throat> well, let's start digging into these verses a little bit and uh, see what we have um, about this <clears throat> second beast and what maybe this imagery that John is showing us has to communicate. So we'll start in verse 11. Uh, John sees this beast rising out of the earth. I know last week we talked about the sea, that place of chaos. Chaos, that's not a word. Uh, but what's the, the Greek pronunciation? It's, oh, yeah, I had forgotten. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's the Greek or just like the, the Latin for it. Uh, I'll have to look it up. Uh, but what's the significance of this beast coming out, of, coming out of the earth rather than coming out of the sea or maybe... Maybe the significance is that, you know, you've got both earth and sea covered. Well, I mean, you run the danger in Revelation of making much of small details. Uh, personally, when I read this, what I see is not the, the place of origination, but it's the method of arriving on the scene. So the beast out of the sea rose out of the sea the beast out of the earth rose out of the earth. What is Satan trying to do here? What is the entire Christian faith founded on? The resurrection Resur of Jesus Christ. And so the church exists because Christ rose out of death. And so already Satan is trying to mimic the power of God, right? Now, I mean, there's the scriptural traces, themes you can trace all through things. The sea uh, kind of represents this chaotic, untamable power. Uh, you, you could kind of describe that as, as, as human tyranny. Uh, the earth is God's creation from which God formed out of his hand his own people. And so it would make sense that, that this fake ecclesiastical power would rise out of something similar to the substance that God created people with. Uh, I think we can dwell there a little bit, but I, what I've always focused on in teaching these passage is the, the counterfeit resurrection. Yeah, that's really good. 
It's really, really good because everything Satan does is a counterfeit. It is a fake. It is something that he's just copying. And so to see that connection with him trying to copy the resurrection is a really good connection here with these beasts. Um, now, I know that the next part of this verse, the second half of this verse, uh, is, is pretty important. Uh, that two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. What's this communicating about the beast for us? Well, you got, I mean, the actual lamb, you know, the ram, the, all rams have two horns, right? That's that's normal thing. Again, Satan is trying to counterfeit. Jesus was called the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, the lamb that God replaced Isaac with on Mount Moriah was a lamb like this. Again, Satan, uh, the appearance of a Messiah figure isn't the actual Messiah. And, and just like Christ is revealed to us by the word, because Christ is the word, the true identity of this false Messiah is revealed to us in the word that it speaks. It looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. So this, we connect this to Jesus' warning about false prophets as being wolves in sheep's clothing and uh, the devil masquerading as an angel of light. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or Jesus' warning in Matthew 25, is it, where he talks about there is Christ, and there is Christ yeah. over there, and there is Christ over there. It's really easy to counterfeit the appearance of a Messiah. I mean, uh, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember the residue of the Moonies and Sung Young Moon at the end of the 60s and 70s, it's really easy to pretend to be a Messiah. Ask David Koresh, ask Jim Jones. I mean, all of those people coming as a Messiah figure takes almost zero effort at all. But every one of the false messiahs that has existed throughout the last 2000 years has spoken with the voice of a dragon. It, the, the false messiahs are not capable of speaking with the voice of the gospel. They're not speaking capable of speaking with the voice of law and gospel. You know, at, at the very least, we can say a false messiah is only capable of speaking with either law or gospel. You know, so a, a false messiah can promise only grace with no concept of sin, or a false messiah can only attack sin with the law with no redemption whatsoever, but it can't do both. And we have to recognize that this is very deceptive, too, because when it looks like a lamb and it looks like, hey, you know, like Jesus, you know, Jesus was the lamb, but also Jesus was, you know, has has a reputation in the world even of being a nice guy a good person right and and they're counterfeiting jesus or or people that are followers of jesus and they're looking like a lamb they're looking innocent they're looking gentle they're looking like the truth right and so this this is much more deceptive than a bold-faced lie right I mean, that's why we say a wolf in sheep's clothing, because if the wolf just shows up and it looks like a wolf, everybody runs, right? But when it's wearing sheep's clothing, it it looks uh, like it it has no uh, teeth. It's not dangerous, and people entertain it. And so we, we got to be careful of those who speak um, on behalf of the church and from amongst the church. Um, or from a religious perspective and seem to be gentle and, and, and be 
saying truthful things and we can look around the world and see that this is true. I mean, people right now are super into, you know, Buddhist uh, meditation. It's like really trendy here in America to, to be buying into all the Buddhist stuff and, Oh, it's so gentle. It's so peaceful. It seems really nice. Um, they don't even want to hurt a bug or fly. Right. And, and uh, people really like a lot of that. Um, and the church is buying into it. There's a bunch of Catholic leaders that are getting together with the Dalai Lama and with Buddhists and doing stuff that, you know, Hollywood loves it. A bunch of celebrities are getting into Buddhist things. And it's not just Buddhism. It's all these other things. But we can even trace it to those who are calling themselves Christians. And we see that this interaction between the the first and second beast, the second beast is causing people to worship the first beast. So the religious beast is getting people to worship the political beast. And we see even a bunch of uh, so-called Christians endorsing political people and even prophesying about political people um, like Pat Robertson prophesying about Trump winning and he would have two attempts on his life, but he would recover and he would get reelected and you know, all of these things sounds a little familiar, right? The second beast uh, um, praising the first beast who would uh, get a, a fatal wound, a mortal wound, and then come back. Um, but it's not just him. It's so many others that are speaking on behalf of the church or pointing to things. And, and a lot of people are buying it up. It, it sounds good. And they're speaking on behalf of religious people or the church even specifically yeah i think along with that too we could probably even see in here the whole uh you know issue that has really blown up in regards to uh you know in this case the roman catholic church because our president is a roman catholic so he says um and the whole issue of can he commune at his roman catholic parish when he supports um you know, government policies that directly go against scripture and the teaching of the church. And they're kind of having this whole thing. And it didn't just start with, uh, with Joe Biden being president. This has been an issue for Rome for a long time too. Um, you know, and it's that question, you know, like, are we going as a church, will we actually stand on the truth of God's word? And will we discipline those who uh, blatantly and unrepentantly defy God's word? Um, or are we too much, is our allegiance too much to the political machine or the, you know, the level of apostasy in our churches? And this isn't just a Roman Catholic thing. And this is not just a, a liberal thing either. This happens on the conservative side of things too. Like, as we talked about last week in regard to, you know, certain views, not just with Trump, but this has been around before him too. But are we willing to speak the truth? Um, regardless of whether the person in office or running for office is one that we favor or not, are we willing to stand on God's word, even if our own chosen political party goes against the word of God, or do we just kind of shut up and go along because our allegiance is first and foremost to the beast in this well, case? <laughs> and, and I think there's a more foundational issue. I, I think there's a lot that needs to be said about the way Christians relate to political power you know, and it's a both and right and left issue here. It's not just the the people who supported Trump and it's not just, I mean, 
liberal Christians go crazy over the Democratic candidates just as much as, you know, conservative Christians go crazy over the Republican candidates, right? But the, the bigger commentary that we see here that we pull out of Revelation 13 is that the nature of human idolatry looks like power. Why else would Satan have such an easy time enticing us away from the truth if it doesn't look that way? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The, the temptation that pushed Adam and Eve over the edge was you will be like God. You know, and so there's the temptation to political power. There's the temptation to ecclesiastical power. And we see that in multiple ways, shapes, and forms. I mean, obviously, the temptation of political power is one of the most fundamental human vices that exists. We've seen that throughout time and in every single philosophical system that's ever existed, right? It, the temptation to ecclesiastical power isn't only realized in, in the church playing politics like the Roman Catholics did during the, uh, to, during the Reformation or like the religious right has done over the last 50 years with endorsing candidates and, and trying to implement Christian policies or whatever. And, and, and I'm not saying Christians shouldn't fight against abortion, but we would also realize that in the spirit of Revelation 13, these unquestioned celebrity pastors are, are fulfilling the same thing. You know, the, yes. the, the pastors that have unlimited authority in their own churches, that's what Revelation 13 is talking about, you know, and, and, and if they have unfettered, uh, no one can contest. I mean, what did we see happen with the Ravi Zacharias thing? No one dared go against them. And, and I mean, how many dozens of scandals have popped up in the last two years just like that? The same thing goes, the, the prosperity gospel is ultimately an appeal to power. Because we view, in our human nature, we view wealth and influence as an expression of power. And so if the Christian life becomes about being wealthy and influential, it's an appeal to power. There's, it shouldn't surprise us that this is how Satan deceives. But are you saying that the prosperity gospel is not actually true? I am, definitively. What, what about Rev Run and his Bentley? Rev run, yeah. Uh, well, How did he get that if the prosperity gospel is not true? <laughs> well, you know, deception creates a lot of wealth in a lot of different areas, right? And, and, and maybe, maybe the Bible says something about not being able to serve two masters. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I think um, maybe, maybe a helpful thing to tie in here too would be from, you know, from the gospels when Jesus talks about you know, the abomination of desolation and how, you know, he stands in the temple, right? And, um, you know, contrary to how some folks say that, we're not talking about a literal temple. Well, I, um, I just have to be careful because I've been teaching this entire time that the abomination that causes desolation is pineapple on pizza. Oh, um, yeah, so. that seems reasonable, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I thought, I thought that it was ludifesque. No. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. So the abomination of desolation takes his place in the in the temple, right? And so the the principle we learn from that is that the abomination of desolation comes from uh, within the church. He looks like the church, and what does he do in the temple? Well, he pretends to be in the place of God, 
And we have this all over the place, right? As you talk about, you know, these celebrity pastors, for example, or, you know, oh, I, God told me this and God told me that. And if you go against what I say, well, you're opposing God because I am God's mouthpiece. So whatever I say, that's what God says. Is that not taking the place of God in the church, pretending, presuming for yourself, you know, and here we have again, power, right? I mean, how much more power can you have than to be the Christ figure in the church, right? And we could speak about that also in the, um, with the office of the papacy, because that's exactly what the Pope claims to be. He claims to be the vicar of Christ, the, the representation of Jesus over the church. And we could say, like, in all honesty, like what blasphemy to, to take for yourself that kind of position and presume that you speak for Christ unless you are speaking the words that Christ has given you to speak, you know, but so many, you know, but, but oftentimes too, I think in the, in the Lutheran church, sometimes we kind of get hung up on, on the papacy and it's certainly applicable there, but we got to remember too, that this applies to every single pastor, whether they are well-known or not, who uh, would presume to speak for God, that which God has not given him to speak. And so, you know, we are not to go around chasing signs and wonders and direct revelations from God, but God has given us his word. And as pastors, as shepherds in Christ's church, we are charged with speaking those words that God has given us to speak, not our own words in place of those words, not our own imaginings that, oh, God told me to do this and God told me to do that. And, you know, by the way, didn't you know, God told you to give me, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the, by the way, too, you know, Seed but yeah, but it kind of, you know, kind of goes all together too with what you're talking about, Jason, with that pursuit of and temptation of power, because that, I mean, what is it that these guys are seeking after, as you said too, I mean, power, wealth, influence, all of these things. Well, in, in the very first thing the man of lawlessness does in Thessalonians when he comes to power is he takes his seat in the temple. So he holds a position of power in the temple. And I think you're spot on uh, that, we, you know, this certainly is personified by and typified by the papacy, right? That the Pope is the vicar of Christ. When the Pope speaks ex cathedra, his words are on par with scripture, you know, things like that. That's pretty awful. We would reject that out of hand, right? But we need to be careful in the Lutheran church. And I think especially in the era of, of online everything, you know, one of my hesitancies, and maybe you guys can speak for the same thing. One of my hesitancies in having a podcast is that people would think that I'm their pastor. Mm. And, and, and we have to honor the call right? The mediated call of the congregation that makes us a pastor of a particular people in a particular place, putting us in our, putting ourselves in a position where we are pastoring people who have fallen in line behind us makes us the same kind of abusers as this sort of thing. It, 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 <coughs> excuse me, gives us the temptation of forming a church in our own image without that call, without that mediation. And, you know, when I am asked online about specific problems from people who listen to my podcast or familiar with things, uh, I try, I fail regularly at this, but I, I've been trying to get better is my first advice is go talk to your pastor. 
You know, it, it's one thing to, to make the teaching of the word available online, and we should be doing that as often as possible. But, but if we end up using that to make ourselves pastors of congregations that did not call us, that is a real problem. And we are mirroring the deception that is going on here in Revelation 13. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind with this is that, you know, the, this beast may or may not, you know, wittingly know that it's following the dragon, right? Or the doing the will of the devil. I don't know. And we see, because we see this in the world, that so many people seem to think that they're actually following the one true God, right? And that's the yet deception, they're doing right? the work of the devil. And that... <clears throat> So you might say, oh, well, I don't think that they would be intentionally leading us to the devil. Well, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. They are. That's what it's, yeah. Going yeah, and, yeah. The bidding of the devil. That's, that's verse 14. I, I think we need to take that seriously. The, the, the beast from the earth is doing signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. I, really, I think that's a great point, Matt. I think we need to allow for the, the potentiality that... The, the people doing the bidding of the beast or of the dragon think they're doing something good. But I mean, that's also consistent with scripture. What is that Matthew 25 two, where Jesus says there will be people who put you to death thinking they're doing the work of God. Right. And that's really important too. A lot of times we, you know, we see this in movies and whatnot where, you know, people imagine that Satanism and whatnot is all, you know, just really occultish kind of stuff. And certainly you know, Satan is at work in those things too. But, but if we want to see, you know, we say, I don't know, we just want to see like real Satanism as it were, like look around at all of the deception, you know, um, the false teaching, the leading astray, all of these, you know, these people who un, unwittingly, you know, are doing the devil's bidding because they don't have the truth. You know, Jesus says this to, you know, the Jews that reject him, you reject me because the word of God has no place in you. And so you cannot hear my word and you, and my truth does not abide in you. And so unless we have the son of God, unless we have, you know, God's word implanted into us, you know, and, and the Holy spirit at work in us, uh, teaching us, you know, the truth and, and studying the scriptures to know the truth. I mean, you know, what what match are we for the devil's deceptions apart from Christ and his word and the Holy Spirit? I mean, we need, you know, God's word in us to keep us from that deception, you know. And so and so for those who do not have the truth, they do not love the truth. Yeah, they they think that they're doing. I mean, like, that's what better deception, you know, of of the devil than to get people to do what he wants them to do and let them think that they're doing the will of God. Right. And, and we need to be careful as the church, because so often when we're fighting against these issues or we're highlighting these issues, it becomes an either or proposition. Right. And so, you know, if we're fighting against the deception in the church, we tend to downplay the occult. You know, and we kind of make light of that. But make no mistake about it. If you pull out a Ouija board today, right. it's going to be bad mojo. There's no good is going to come from that. It doesn't need to be cartoony to be dangerous and harmful 
to you and those around you. But at the same time that the Ouija boards are damaging, the things going on in the liberal mainline denominations with this glorification of, of gender dysphoria and everything else going on there, uh, that is to be rejected. And, and the undermining of God's word and the, the robbing scripture of the voice of God, that is to be rejected. And the prosperity gospel is to be rejected. And, and the, the, in, the, in the fundamental church, the failure to apply law and gospel correctly, where we turn into a works righteous salvation, that is to be objected, uh, rejected. And in, in the reality is Satan is working in all of those items to deceive and lead people away from their salvation that is delivered freely and universally in Christ. Yeah, we definitely don't want to get in the trap of trying to thinking that, you know, Satan only works in one way, you know, he, he has many different ways and in whatever ways that he can deceive. I mean, you know, scripture talks about what that he even tries if possible to deceive the elect. Right. And so you know, he's not going to do that by a frontal attack. He's going to do that by being as conniving as possible and as looking as innocent as possible. And so, you know, and that again, just really, I think underscores a lot there. We really need to, as Christians to be, as uh, we have been described in the past people of the book, right. That we know the scriptures that we um, are constant in, in prayer and in repentance and faith that, that we would not be led astray as we, you know, we pray in the Lord's prayer that God would keep us from, you know, temptation, but also from the evil one and, and Satan's deceptions, you know, and because it's so easy, as soon as it's so easy for us to trust ourselves and think, Oh yeah, we got this, but we don't, we are no match for, for Satan's deceptions um, apart from, you know, God's work in us through, through his word and, and his sacraments as the spirit works in us. And so we need to know the scriptures we need to know what is true. Um, and this is where, too, it's helpful for us to also know, you know, church history and what the church has faced before, because none of this is anything new. It might look different than it did a couple of thousand years ago, but it's the same lies. It's the same deceptions, you know, and that's one of the great things about, you know, the book of Revelation, since, you know, when we understand it rightly, we're not bound into this timeline kind of a thing. But what's what revelation teaches us is true all the time. Um, and so, you know, just as it was true for the initial recipients from John and the warnings that he gave about the deception of the devil and, and these two beasts and so on and so forth, it's just as true for us today. And we need to be diligent students of the word and of the truth so that, um, you know, so that we are not led astray. And as, you know, St. Paul speaks of, of taking up the armor of God you know, in all of its parts and the shield of faith and helmet of salvation, so on and so forth, so that the, the flaming darts of the devil uh, cannot harm us. And the only way that we can do that is to be constant in the word of God and in prayer and in repentance and faith. Um, and so that's just a really important part that we are diligent in our Christian lives and not uh, apathetic and lackadaisical because Satan is a tireless foe, right? And so All right, so let's jump back in. We've kind of bounced around a little bit here. Uh, I think we've mostly covered through verse 14. Um, did we really talk about these, these great signs or miracles that the, uh, the beast is going to be able to perform? I don't think we really got off on it. So let's, uh, 
let's look at that for just a second and talk about what those those great signs like making fire come down from heaven are. I think here the best way to understand what's going on is to go back to Moses and Aaron in Egypt. And you would remember the first, what, two or three plagues, the magicians of Pharaoh were able to duplicate to a certain extent what Moses and, Abel, what Moses and Aaron were able to do by the power of God. So you start with turning your staff into a snake and, you know, the Egyptians were able to do that by whatever demonic powers they had. And, and we would note that the Aaron's staff ate up the snakes of the other two, or Moses' staff did that, right? And then the, the water and the blood. Although, if you've seen uh, Prince of Egypt, I thought they handled that really well. Uh, the cartoon Prince of Egypt that came out in the late 90s, where the magicians, which weren't the magicians played by Steve Martin and Martin Short, something like that pretty sure that's true yes yeah janice and jambers were played by steve martin martin short and and to duplicate uh <laughs> if i if i'm remembering the scene right to duplicate the turning water into blood they turned around stirred up the bowl and threw some red food dye into it and like coughed <laughs> and they're like see we did it i thought they handled that pretty well but it's it's in the end the the truths we pull out of scripture are one that miracles can be counterfeited right? And two, that God's kingdom isn't primarily revealed in miracles and in works of power. It's revealed in the truth of God's word. Yes, absolutely. That's, you know, and maybe it seems like a, sounds like a broken record to a certain extent, but again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until we get it, we must treasure and value the word of God so highly because, it, we are so tempted to cast it off for, you know, trick shows, right? These counterfeit signs, that which looks good to us. And it's so easy for us to, you know, like we can even think of, you know, things that, you know, even in the, you know, charismatic and Pentecostal circles and how they, you know, so much what is valued there are, you know, what they believe are, you know, the visible gifts of the spirit, like speaking in tongues and, and healings and prophecies and these kinds of things. And, and often the attitude is, well, if you don't have these things, you know, you're not, you're not really a, you know, at least you're not a mature Christian. You're kind of just maybe a second class, you know, Christian. And, and what ends up happening is that the word of God is despised and, and cast aside in favor of, you know, you know, not even necessarily like false signs, which I mean, they, they could certainly be false signs by demonic activity, but also just our own imaginings are capable of pretending about these things. Um, but no, we are to stay with and hold fast to God's word and not go after signs and wonders and, you know, clever speakers and cheap parlor tricks or whatever, you know, I mean, this whole ridiculous stuff with uh was it bethel in redding california where you know they have all this smoke and light show and gold dust and like oh the holy spirit's here because of all of this stuff it's, and it's just ridiculous how many people follow after that you know but god has promised to be present for us in his word and in his sacraments these are the things that he has given us to hold fast to and so when our eyes tempt us to be deceived to go after these signs and wonders, then, you know, 
close your eyes, right? And hear God's word, right? Turn your eyes off to those things and hold fast to that which God has promised you. Here I will be for you. Not over there, not in these things. Here in my word, here in holy baptism, here in my body and blood given for you for the forgiveness of your sins, here in holy absolution by which you can know I have forgiven you and you have these promises. God has promised to be here for us. And I mean, if we really think about it, there, there's time and time again where people get distracted by what we think is an exercise of God's power and get themselves into trouble. In the book of Acts, we would remember that Simon Magus, you know, the magician, could do signs and wonders, but it got to a point where he couldn't do something. And, and, and you know, he got rebuked for it by Paul or Peter. Paul? One of the two. Peter. I think Peter? it was Peter. Yeah, either one. Or, or we go, or we go back to the book of Judges, or Joshua, and I think it's really instructive. You know, the, the Israelites have this great victory by the power of God's hand at Jericho. You know, they march around the city, and and the walls crumble, and they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And they go to Ai next, and they say, you know what? We're so awesome that we only need to take a couple thousand people with us because Ai is so small. And they got their butts whooped. Never mind that bit about disregarding God's word about taking yeah. the sacred. Well, and, and it turns out, <laughs> well, and I, you can laugh at it for two reasons because they, they completely disregarded the word of God and that's why they were punished. And in mm-hmm. getting their butts whooped, the reality was just like 30 people died, you know, and it was this great catastrophic thing. It's not like the whole army was routed, but, but how easily we are swung by the women fancy of our passions and, and, and the highs go all the way high and the lows go all the way low. And, and it's the word of God that keeps us centered. You know, like, you know, you said it, Ben, we repeat over and over and over again, you got to be centered in the word of God. You got to, you, you, you got to revelation becomes really boring if that's the continued message, but that's the whole point. You know, we're kind of addicted to this action movie interpretation of the book of Revelation. And it's just like every section is like, well, if you understand the word of God and hold to the truth of God's word, you don't need to worry about it. You know what this is all about. So a couple uh, examples I've heard of, real life examples of this stuff. Excuse me. My, uh, my... I don't know if it was junior high or high school, Sunday school teacher used to be a witch in Mexico. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as she, have most of us. What's that? Oh, yeah. As have most of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who among us hasn't? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> let, you know, hearing her testimony and stuff when she was teaching us, she talked about how when she had lived down there, she was actually like, she was... Uh, doing you know tricks or whatever for for money for for people but she actually you know in in retrospect realizes that she was possessed by demons or or being empowered by demons because she could do unnatural things she would know things that no one could know and uh and but her powers definitely had limits which is exactly what you just said <clears throat> excuse me again and she 
she talked about how real demon possession was and working for the devil, whether you understood it or not. And, and yet that it was a limit in power. But we also see that there's lots of tricksters out there. You can look all, all over YouTube for magicians cracking so-called fortune tellers and all this stuff because they're really using magic tricks and, uh, you know, different psychological or slight sleight of hand or tricks of the eye kind of things. I have a friend that uh, used to work at some of the venues in Minneapolis and uh, got to be working um, at the Target Center in Minneapolis when Benny Hinn came to town. And if you know Benny Hinn, <clears throat> he's a so-called, uh, you know, prophet of the church or whatever. And he wears hey, white, doesn't there. he? Where yeah, he wears all white. Yep. All white. Yep. Like a lamb, right? So innocent. And uh <laughs> like a finely tailored lamb. Right. Benny Hinn is once this posts. Are you I doing the Jedi her. one? Please tell oh, me you're doing Jedi. the Jedi. Yes. I'm gonna do Jedi <laughs> Have you guys seen the Street Fighter? Hear, hear the voice of the dragon. <laughs> right? So Benny Hinn is in town, and my friend is one of the you know, people that would work behind the scenes setting up the venue for whoever was going to be in there. And in a very unusual way, they like locked down the arena, the interior part of it. They wouldn't let anybody in there to see what was happening because they were practicing the miracles that were going to happen that night. And, uh, and they didn't want to be exposed. So and I can't do miracles because I haven't practiced enough. I guess. Yeah. Okay. And uh, choreography, it's all down to right. choreography. And, and also what was really uh, crazy is the accounts of this guy, my friend walking through the hallways as they're locked out of the interior of the arena, there were some spooky, spooky people in there that he swears were demon possessed. And that it was like, there were demons roaming that building. It was so creepy. And, and he, he works all these secular shows and he's never, ever seen anything as creepy as the Benny Hinn show when it rolled into town. And we would expect that to happen. Now, now some resources for people to check out while we're going down this road. Uh, Benny Hinn's nephew, Costa Hinn, is, is a part of the Reformed Church. And he has come out very violently against Benny Hinn's uh, ministry. He's written a couple books. He's done the podcast tours. If you want to find out about that sort of branch of Christianity exposed, look up Costa Hinn. I think it's C-O-S-T-A. Uh, and anything he has to say will expose Benny Hinn. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, you, you said these cheap tricks, Matt, and things like that. Uh, one, there's a reason that scripture warns us against charlatans because it's really easy for them to do the work. But if you really want to see this go on, uh, look up YouTube videos on people who claim to be able to lengthen limbs. Oh, yeah. And it's the, it's, it's the cheapest trick in the world. In, in, in these, these up-and-coming prosperity preachers, that's the trick that they do, is they, they, they do these limb-lengthening things. And, and what's so interesting, uh, uh, Harry Houdini, spent the second half of his career disproving these charlatans because it was really big at the turn of the century. And so even some like, like Harry, uh, Harry Houdini, in fact, there have been several magicians, you know, the, the, not the, the witchcraft kind, but, you know, illusionists who, who do 
spend their time debunking these so-called miracle workers. And in fact, uh, if we're going to thank God for the existence of Penn and Teller, who are atheists and don't have nice things to say about the church, they, they spend a lot of their time, uh, you know, unloading their guns against uh, the hypocrites in the church and these like faith healers and stuff. And so uh, it's out there. Uh, but but I think kind of, you know, before we get too far off the rails with that, that what Romans th- or Romans Revelation 13 is doing for us here is, is putting those people who are more or less easy to detect and kind of caricatures of themselves on the same level as people who would propagate false doctrine in the church. Mm. And, and that's the reality of the situation. And even in that you see the deception of Satan where he will cause us to laugh at, at, at all these hypocrites and these, 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 you know, uh, jokers to the left of us, clowns on the right or whatever the, the phrase is uh, so that we're distracted from the real threat of false doctrine in the church that leads us away from the gospel. Well, guys, our time is drawing near. There's one thing left in this. We better get to the mark. We have to talk about, we've got to talk about the mark. I know it's very clear. We all know that it's the second COVID shot. That's the one that contains the chip, uh, as you are well aware. So we know it's that, but we still need to take a little time proving it through Holy Scripture. So I hope you go smarter than myself to prove that it's the second COVID shot. It's this not is, my barcode uh, tattoo that I've no. no, but I thought it had to be on the, the hand or the forehead, the COVID shots. Well, the, the COVID shot migrates to the oh. head oh, okay. after it's injected. <laughs> Very high tech. Read the internet. So, so, Jason, take us away. What's up with this, Mark, and the buying and selling and the 666 and all this stuff? Oh, man. Um <laughs> This is where I'm, this is the spot in the entire book of Revelation where I'm tempted to be the most irreverent. Uh, and, and I actually did tell a Bible study I was leading on Revelation. I've, I've led a handful of them since I've been a pastor. You could literally right now get a tattoo of a barcode on your forehead and on your right wrist and still not have the mark of the beast and still not be in danger of losing your salvation. So the first thing we need to say as comfort for those who are worried about the mark of the beast, who are legitimately stressed out about this. And and especially with the COVID nonsense uh, floating around and the vaccine nonsense floating around, the message of scripture is that God does not play games with your salvation. He does not play it fast and loose. That doing something accidentally or unintentionally or unknowingly will not jeopardize your salvation. Period. That's it. So, so getting a vaccine when you're concerned about your health, regardless of what your opinions are of everything going on, it, it, it is not a matter of your eternal destination. Might improve your cell phone reception does not affect your salvation. Okay. There's, hopefully that's my last cheap shot. No guarantees. Hopefully it's my last cheap shot. Um, the, the things floating around with the mark of the beast, the easiest one to pick out is that 666 is one less than 777. And here's where we get the physical evidence of the counterfeit trinity. Okay. 
Seven in scripture is the mark of perfection and completion, seven days of creation, the seven spirits, uh, so on and so forth. That's a three, divine number. Well, it's the divine number. Three is the mark of the Trinity. So three sevens would be absolute perfection. Three sixes would be the perfect counterfeit. Right. And again, you, you see the counterfeit Trinity in everything that is going on. The two beasts and the dragon, the, the way that Satan operates in, in power and in false doctrine and in demonic influence, all these things. The, the mark of the beast is simply a, a, an identifier of the unholy trinity. The thing about commerce is this. This is what persecution of the church looks like. Is that whenever the church is persecuted, it's going to be harder to be a Christian than not be a Christian. And one of the ways that it'll do it is that Christians won't be able to buy and sell. Guess what? We've already seen that in history. It's happened in multiple places and at multiple times. Uh, if you didn't have your papers as a Roman in the first four centuries of the Roman Empire, uh, where the Roman Empire coexisted with the Christian church, you couldn't buy, you know, and you didn't get papers as a Roman citizen if you didn't burn a pinch of incense to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord once every year. You know, we, that's, uh, I have heard uh, places in the Middle East that Christians aren't permitted to buy and sell. I have heard people in communist regimes like China and Cuba who are evangelical Christians have not been able to buy and sell. Now, it is likely, should the Lord tarry, that something like that is coming down the pipeline in the United States, the way that we're seeing the culture finally turn against the church in the United States. The point of the matter is it's not going, if you have a credit card, you didn't accidentally get the mark of the beast. If you use your phone with your right hand to pay for things, you didn't accidentally get the mark of the beast because in scripture, you can't accidentally lose your salvation. That's not how it works. If you could accidentally lose your salvation, then Christ would be a liar when he said from the cross, it is finished. Yeah. And I don't know if, if you guys think of this is similar, but the kind of conversations I have about this are almost identical to the conversations about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people are really worried about whether they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit or whether they've gotten the mark of the beast. If you're worried about it, you, you haven't have it. gotten it. Yep. Right. And, and also um, we could say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the mark of the beast are sin and, and uh, indicative of unbelief, and that's wrong. And if, that, if you persist in that till the Lord comes or you die, you will be punished for eternity. Yes. But while you're alive and you, you have the opportunity for repentance, the Lord has allowed you to live because he wants you to be saved. And even today, as you hear about the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has provided for you through his death and resurrection, you can cry out to him and be saved. Even if you went on the internet to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit webpage and said, and recorded yourself saying, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Or even if you Wait, went and got a real webpage, please tell me that's a real webpage. Yeah. I don't remember what the webpage is called, but there's actually a webpage of people doing that. Uh, 
same thing like Jason's saying, if you went and intentionally got tattoos that said Mark of the Beast or something like that, you know, yes, that's a sinful, unbelieving attitude to have, but that, but if you're still alive, the Lord is calling out to you today to hear about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, to repent and to believe in the one true God, because, um, continuing down that road is following the dragon, the, the devil himself, and it will end in that lake of fire with him. But, um, but don't, if you're feeling, um, concerned, if you're, if you're worried about it, the, the answer to all of this is not to continue in despair or to give up, but to hear that today God is inviting you to trust in him and the finished work of Christ and be saved. If, if you're repenting of your sins, you don't have the mark of the beast. It's, it's as simple as that. And uh, I think it's a great point to illustrate that if you are alive right now, there is still time to repent. You know, the, 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 there, are, there are three ways in which uh, you come to the end of that line. One, you die and you can't ever repent. Two, Jesus comes back and time for repentance has left, or three, you refuse to repent so much that you're not going to repent. And, and the thing about that is only God knows when you've crossed that line. Only God knows when you've hardened your heart like Pharaoh and aren't going to, even the miracles of Egypt aren't going to cause you to repent. And so if you're alive and you're concerned about your eternal salvation, repent, receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's all. If the mark of the beast were so concerning that you could accidentally get it, then no one would be able to explain why Satanists come to faith in Christ. Anyone has a mark of the beast. It's got to be a Satan worshiper, right? And there are stories of Satanists converting, converting back to Christianity. We need as Christians to train ourselves to stop programming our faith with uncertainty because the way God delivers to us the faith for all time is through assurance and certainty. Amen. I think we should leave it right there, Jason. I think those are our closing thoughts that, you know, our faith is delivered to us. What, what did you say? Assurance and certainty, were those the words? Assurance and certainty. There you go. Good stuff. Well, Matt, will you close us in a word of prayer? And um, hopefully Ben comes back at some point. I think we should leave it for Ben's thoughts right now. Ben, what do you think about all that? Yeah, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I think didn't, didn't Ben just prove that there's selective rapture? Yeah, Ben was raptured. <laughs> so I guess we're just waiting, guys. Although, I guess... although Ben was raptured stage left. And I don't know what to make about that. It's, oh. I always thought it was a vertical thing and not a horizontal thing. So well, yeah. he didn't want to go through the roof. So it was, yeah. uh, I didn't think the, the trumpet call of the Lord came through a telephone, but I it did for Ben. So a very curious ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time in your word once again. And uh, thank you that Pastor Jason could join us as well. And uh, it's such a blessing to be gathering as your people around your word and in your name. And, and uh, we thank you, Lord, for 
the warnings and these descriptions in scripture about about the truth about the devil and his work in this world so that we may not be fooled um, but also that we may not despair when we see things going really badly in our world um, when we recognize that it's full of corruption and tricks and uh and evil and lord i pray that even as we, the church, go through much of this with the devil's sights set on us in particular, uh, that we would, we would not give up. Uh, and even when we feel really afraid or nervous, uh, concerned about our salvation, Lord, that we don't need to despair, but that we can hear about the, the message of Jesus that you so clearly have given to us in your scriptures uh, and throughout the book of Revelation, that we can hear that our sins have been forgiven, that Jesus has taken away the sting of death, and he is paid for sin, and he is risen from the dead, and, and is, um, is at your right hand, and that he's coming back for us one day to uh, throw down all evil forces and all um, evil people, along with the devil and all his workers, and uh, and so our enemies will be defeated, and we will be brought home to heaven. And I just pray, Lord, as we think about the victory in Christ and how much we need it, Lord, that we would repent of our sins and cry out to you, trust in you, even today, while we have that opportunity. Um, and uh, what a wonderful thing it is that we don't need to live in paranoia or fear or doubt or worry, but that we can know for sure, have the, the comfort and peace of your salvation and uh, resting in your promises. And so, Lord, may uh, each one who is hearing this today um, cry out to you and put their trust in your unfailing word and the, the grace you give to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Jason.